This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, all through the lens of disability. I am your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. And what a special episode you are in store for Happy Halloween. That's right. When your ears get to hear this episode, it is going to be the best day of the year, October 31st, Halloween. And so I had to put something just a little bit special on the examination table this go-round. And of course I couldn't do it alone. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be nice. That would be a trick and not a treat. So I am here to introduce our guest, Terry Menard. Hello, Terry. Hey, Nicole. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to dig into this uh, modern classic, I will say. Absolutely. So, Terry, Gaily Dreadful, also co-host of Scared for Life. You have also heard him about here on the Anatomy of a Scream uh, pod network as well. And we'll get into the plugs at the end. But... The film that we are going to be discussing today is none other than 2007-slash-2009's Trick or Treat, uh, directed by Michael Daughtery. And one of the reasons, and I know I've talked about this before, but one of the reasons that I say 2007-2009 is that it's one of those amazing films that has a slightly interesting uh, production history. And that just means it had its initial showings, public viewings, through some fests in 2007, but was shelved for a bit and didn't hit home media until 2009. So... Just a little bit of interesting context there. Now, before my guests and I start uh, going into this film, let's get into the plot. Courtesy of friend of the pod, constant friend of the pod, Wikipedia. Mm. Let's go. Everyone's favorite. I know. I know. Always accurate. Always perfect. (laughs) The film takes place on Halloween night in fictional town of Warren Valley, Ohio. The plot follows a nonlinear narrative with characters crossing paths throughout the film. At the center of the story is Sam, a peculiar trick-or-treater in an orange footy pajama costume who appears to enforce the rules of Halloween. Our opening. In the opening scene, Emma and her Halloween-loving husband, Henry, return home after a celebratory night. Emma, who hates Halloween, pulls out their jack-o'-lantern before midnight against Henry's superstitious advice. 
as Henry relaxes and falls asleep in the house to porn. Uh, I was going to say, they're kind of burying the lead there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Emma begins tearing down the decorations, but is in ambush and murdered by an unseen assailant. Hours later, Henry discovers her mutilated corpse on display with the decorations. Then we get into our principal story. Charlie, a child who vandalizes jack lanterns, is caught stealing candy from an unattended bowl left by his school principal, Stephen Wilkins. Seemingly taking the offense in stride, Wilkins offers Charlie a candy bar while lecturing Charlie on the importance of respecting Halloween rules and traditions. Charlie gradually feels more unwell until he begins to vomit chocolate and blood. As Charlie dies, Wilkins reveals that he laced the candy with cyanide, remarking, you should always check your candy. While clumsily attempting to hide the murder, he hands out candy to trick-or-treaters, including Sam. Wilkins attempts to bury Charlie in the backyard along with the body of another victim, but is continually interrupted by his young son, Billy, his, his cantankerous elderly neighbor, Mr. Craig, and Mr. Craig's dog, Sprite. Spite. The other victim, turns out to be still alive, struggles in the sack, forcing Wilkins to violently beat him to death with a shovel before anyone can discern the noise. When Wilkins returns indoors, he briefly notices Craig screaming uh, for help at the window. Wilkins brushes him off before something seems to attack him. Wilkins guides Billy downstairs to carve a jack-o'-lantern, hiding a knife behind his back. After some hesitation, Wilkins appears to stab Billy. However, Billy is unharmed, and it is revealed that the knife was plunged into Charlie's severed head, the jack-o'-lantern that they are about to carve. Because good old Billy needs a little help with the eyes. With those eyes. Uh, So then we get to the Halloween school bus massacre. And, y'all, this is, if we're looking for a disability connection, this and I would say um, kind of the, the kids around this story are where we really find that connect. So let's get into this story. A group of uh, teenage trick-or-treaters, Macy, Chip, Schrader, and Sarah, are collecting jack-o'-lanterns when they meet devout Halloween traditionalist and autistic savant, Rhonda. The group, led by Macy, visits a flooded quarry where she recounts the urban legend of the Halloween school bus massacre. In the legend, the weary and resentful parents of eight seemingly, thanks Wikipedia for this, mentally handicapped children bribed their bus driver to dispose of them. Before the driver could complete his plan, one child escaped his shackles and took control of the bus, accidentally driving it off a cliff into the quarry. The children all drowned, though the driver survived, yet was never heard from again. No one tried to find the bus, as the people 
didn't want it to be found. Macy leaves eight jack-o'-lanterns by the lake as a tribute to the deceased. The group splits up, leaving Rhonda and Chip behind. Rhonda gets separated and is then pursued by horrifying figures. But once she is hurt, while being chased and reduced to tears, the other teens reveal that it was them. Disguised as dead children in an attempt to prank her, all planned by Maisie. Because again, we love a story where the coded disabled kid is bullied in kind of a story shrouded by paying respect to disabled kids. Whew, we got layers. <laughs> a tiramisu here. So, uh, Schrader realizes that the trick has gone too far and tries to comfort the terrified Rhonda while a bitter Macy kicks a jack-o'-lantern into the water. The actual undead children emerge from the lake and attack the teens. Rhonda coldly abandons them to their deaths as revenge for their prank. As she leaves, Rhonda encounters Sam and exchanges a nod of respect towards him. Truly one of the times where Sam is like, no. It's cool. You did you. Yeah. <laughs> and he kept the rules. Appreciate respect. Then we get into surprise party. I also really like this story quite a bit. There's some real interesting twists and turns here. This is my favorite. Yeah. And we got Anna Paquin. And this would have been, I think, right before True Blood. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Lori, a self-conscious 22-year-old from out of town, joins her older sister Danielle and friends Maria and Janet for Halloween. The girls all select fairy tale princess costumes, encouraging Lori to wear a little red riding hood costume. So right from the jump, we're kind of setting her apart. The other girls are dressed as princesses. She's dressed as someone that's young, and she makes note of this at the very jump saying I look like a child a devout Halloween traditionalist Lori misses trick-or-treating and is uncaring of her friends and sister is uncaring of her friends and sisters talks of dates while the other girls pick up dates and head to a party in the woods Lori chooses to stay and enjoy the town festival instead Later, on the way to meet up with her friends, she is attacked by a hooded man dressed as a vampire. A bundle of red cloth later falls out of a tree by the girl's bonfire, revealing the injured and frightened vampire. After an, arri after an arriving, Lori remarks that he bit her. Lori's friends unmask the man, revealed to be Stephen Wilkins, who had been seeking out victims at the festival. And we see this before he attacks a woman bites her she gets away and he then finds her is able to kind of kill her and props her up against a kind of a storefront and yeah. um this is also one i think one of the first not i don't want to think is is it one of the first instances where we see how these stories get interwoven within a timeline because so 
this is one of those movies where every time I watch it, I pick up new things. And we actually do get to see pretty much everyone cross paths, whether we know it or not, in the right after the very opening. Um, because we get this long tracking shot following Sam walking down the street. And we'll see um, Rhonda cross the street and almost get hit by a, the car of get giggling girls. And then we'll see him walk past um, Mr. Wilkins or Steve Wilkins and all that. So, like, we do get to see a yes. little bit of them all together. No, I just so don't realize that, it at that time. No, and I'm so glad that you said that because this is a film that does reward repeated viewings because I think it you does. get to see little bits and pieces like that. Um, but I know on, I think one of my initial watches, I was like, oh, so really everyone is crossing paths at this big town party because this town mm-hmm. goes hard for Halloween. Sure does. Which I don't. <laughs> okay, like, you do you, Ohio. I respect it. Um, (laughs) But this feels unregulated. (laughs) People people are just, like, getting murdered in the streets, and they're like, oh, we can just prop bodies up because there's just going to be a lot of of that shenanigans. I don't know. But I should say, like, no one realizes initially that she's dead. They think that she's drunk. We see a little bit of an interaction with uh, the couple from the very beginning as well. So, again, all these stories kind of loop together in a really fun way. But let's get back to Surprise Party. So, uh, uh, Lori's friend, Lori's sisters and friends all shed their clothing and skin and transform into werewolves with it being her first time killing someone and having sought out someone who deserves it lori transforms and slaughters wilkins before devouring him sam sitting on a nearby log watches as the werewolves feast on their deceased dates and this is a child y'all like (laughs) (laughs) this is a he's a child He's seen things. <laughs> I mean, you would see things if you're the spirit of Halloween, I suppose. I suppose, but he's a child. <laughs> oh, Sam. All right. So, yeah, now now is the story of Sam. This is where we really lock into the fact we know that he's a spirit of Halloween, that he's keeping us all in check for the holiday. But this is where we get a little bit more robust background of Sam. So we meet back up with Krieg, our curmudgeonly Halloween hater, also played by Brian Cox. So for those Succession fans out there, we are not serious people right now. So he dresses up as he dresses up his dog to scare trick or treaters off his doorstep. As the night proceeds, Krieg encounters escalating phenomena. The front of the house's egg, the lawn is filled with ornate jack-o'-lanterns, and the hallways and ceilings are scrawled with Halloween and Samhain readings. Again, Samhain. Sam, do we get it? <laughs> Krieg is ambushed by Sam. In their struggle, Krieg eventually manages to... In- 
unmask his assailant. And this is actually a very neat little reveal. Um, I love kind of the the jack-o'-lantern phase. It is so perfect, so beautifully done. It's it's stunning. And I think like I think the Wikipedia mentions it's a, like a hybrid of a skull and a jack-o'-lantern, but it also gives kind of an alien, like a gray vibe to it. So we got a lot of like things going on under that mask. And it's it is one of my favorite reveals, especially when he's like, wow, at the camera. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, it's it's really beautiful. So yes, it's a hybrid of kind of a skull and jack-o'-lantern. Think back to I think it's Halloween too, with the opening credits mm-hmm. with the jack-o'-lantern and it's very much the school. Yep. And the jack-o'-lantern. Very, very much that. But very cool looking. Creek shoots Sam several times with a shotgun, apparently killing him. However, Sam begins to reanimate and incapacities and corners Creek. This also gave me flavors of uh, Gage and Judd. Yes. In yep. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. I can see that. <laughs> I love it. Instead of killing him, Sam impales a candy bar in Craig's lap, completing the tradition of handing out candy on Halloween. Satisfied, Sam spares a confused Craig and obviously. Om- Departs. Meanwhile, photographs burning in the fireplace reveal that Krieg was the bus driver from the school bus massacre and went missing. So, our conclusion. A heavily bandaged Krieg gives candy to trick-or-treaters on his porch. He witnesses other characters in the film mill about observing and upholding Halloween traditions. Billy sits on his father's porch, dressed as his father... I should note, handing out candy and enjoying himself. Rhonda crosses the street casually, pulling her wagon filled with jack-o'-lanterns. Lori and her friends drive by laughing to each other. I think this is after they feasted because they Mm -hmm. seem satiated. (laughs) Um, And Emma and Henry arrive home. Sam witnesses Emma prematurely... Distinguishing the jack-o'-lantern and moves in to kill her as punishment. Krieg answers another knock at his door, only to be greeted by the undead children from the bus who brutally tear him apart in retribution for their murder. And this is not actually shown. This is actually shown kind of in a comic book um, vignette because this was... This is a legendary picture. They have a tie-in often to comic books, and there's going to be a tie-in with Trick or Treat and comic books. So, that is our plot. It is a lot, but it is amazing. And, again, an anthology that weaves together lots of interesting stories, all with kind of the theme of keeping Halloween traditions and vibes and keeping them sacred. All right, Terry. So. Yes. When did you first see this film? I remember hearing about this film. Like it was, it had like a legendary kind of quality to it because as you said, it did premiere in 2007 at like a butt namathon, which um, is hosted by a a problematic person, shall we say. (laughs) But 
um at the time he was he was not considered as problematic and it was like this big thing and i remember hearing reports coming out from from the Butnamathon, and then it, it premiered i believe at like citrus again and like it, it hit a couple festivals and we didn't really hear anything and it wasn't until two years later that finally it was unceremoniously dumped onto dvd which now we get a lot of movies that go straight to vod that are horror and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad quality thing it just it means that that's where they're they're going but at the time there was a little bit of a worry that you know we're dropping this straight to dvd is it going to be good but i was so excited to watch it i bought it the day it came out i sat down and i watched it the day i was able to finally get my hands on it no absolutely same um during this time, so as you mentioned, the Butnamathon, um, there is kind of a movie news outlet that at the time had, I think, a different level of visibility. And it was so, big. Yeah. And they had an annual kind of movie marathon and this showed. I remember hearing about this, being very excited, getting the DVD as soon as I could and watching it. And this has become, I think, a annual watch so. Uh, for so, so many people, myself included. It's a lot of fun. It really taps into kind of all things Halloween. And if you watch this movie and you are not in the Halloween spirit and mood... I just don't think it lives inside you. And beware of Sam. <laughs> so, um, a couple of other, I think, production-type things. Of course, this film, once it hit DVD and has garnered a really, I think, pretty substantial following, people have been saying, uh, yo, Where's that sequel? And it has been kind of teased uh, for, well, basically since its release. Yep. As it's built up steam. But just weeks ago, uh, Michael Daugherty was at, I think, Beyond Fest and was like, hey, nothing is greenlit yet. But just to let you know, some things with the sequel are in the works. So for my Sam fans, you may be coming back with a vengeance. I hope that that does happen. Um, I've been, I'm one, one of those people that was like, I need a sequel right away. And then, you know, you'd hear teases of it ac across like the last, what decade, oh, over yeah. a decade at this point. And I do remember thinking I want a sequel, but also being kind of fearful for it because this movie is so perfect that yeah. is like, can you do it justice? And so I hope that that over the last over a decade that Michael Doherty has been, um, you know, trying to figure out how to break the story because I, I just, I love this movie so much. And there is something very special about just this movie that I, I would love to see a sequel if it does it justice, but I also would be perfectly happy if all we got is this one perfect movie. Exactly. And one thing to note too, is that this movie is for being an anthology on having these stories 
And these stories are fairly robust. That's one thing that always surprises me. Is that each story seems to be given a good amount of heft and development. There's not a story that you're left thinking, what? Like, I want to see much more. It completely nails all of these narratives, I think, and puts them together in a really, really delicious way. So, and with that said, it's a really short movie. So it really is. I'm always surprised that it's like 82 minutes long. I'm always like, what? How how are we telling four complete stories in 82 minutes when a lot of anthologies spend maybe 30 minutes more than that? And don't do as good of a job. And that's that's exactly it. And this is, if you're looking for a party film, if you're having folks over and you want to put on a film that people are going to, you know, kind of trickle into, get really kind of immersed, you cannot be steered wrong with this film. No. It is It is really, really good. So... I think that we've exalted this film, but let's let's talk about our 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 feelings on these stories. I know that we we talked, uh, you know, in doing the four hour plot synopsis, um, we talked a little bit about them, but let's talk about these stories. Carrie, let's start with kind of our our opening in that story how do you think this story works as kind of a bookend so i every time i watch this movie i am just amazed i I remember the very first time i saw this film and um of course i had grown up on anthologies tales from the dark side the movie was one of my favorites as a kid of course there's you know tales from the crypt for the anthology there's the um the creep show anthology like i've always had the structure of those in mind of it's like we have a wraparound the stories might not be intertwined with each other but they're going to be kind of morality tales it's pulling from those ec comics from like the the early uh from the earlier part of the the century that sort of deal with macabre things and also have like a morality tale sort of like a a horror meets fairy tale mentality. Mm -hmm. And so going into this, I was surprised that we do get this opening sequence that doesn't really tell us anything about the story. It's not like as in tales from the dark side of the movie, where it's a witch that has a kid and the kid is telling stories. Like there's, there's, there's no real wraparound in this. There's this, this opening and this coda that, um, again, with the nonlinear thing kind of ties back into each other, but it introduces us to Sam. It introduces us to those rules that need to be established and followed. And then it just sort of whisks us on on its way. And it doesn't say, here are the stories you're going to hear. Although I guess the the opening credits kind of spell out little bits of stories, but it doesn't do the the traditional, here's the the wraparound story. And then these other ones are going to be offshoots from it. It just sort of goes. And I love that structure. I agree. I think it's really smart in setting the exact tone for the film without, um, like you said, really giving each bit of what lays in store um, kind of out there. 
in saying, here's here's the film. I think it just sets the tone perfectly. Yes. And I think also the first time that you see it, you don't realize that this is kind of a part of that wraparound. And right. so it becomes really interesting. Um, I should say that, um, you know, this is a pretty stacked cast. Um, mm-hmm. and we have Leslie Bibb, who is playing Emma, who is our, now, one thing that I noticed is that in all of, like, the plot synopsis and breakdowns of this film, everyone describes her as hating Halloween. I'm going to push back on that. Okay. I'm going to say something controversial, yet brave. Yeah, brave. And say no. <laughs> because she sees kids across the street in their costumes, trick-or-treating, and she smiles. Like, she's really... And it's a very genuine, sweet smile. I think that she does like the season. I think, as she says, as they are walking up to their place, they're both a bit lit. Uh, They've had some drinks at the town fest. And she is just like, I'm tired. We have shit to do tomorrow. And I want to just take this down now. I think it's ridiculous because... As many people have pointed out, if you've listened to other podcasts or breakdowns of this film, their display oh. in their yard is so goddamn extensive. Like, yes. I'll see you at 4 a.m. Right. Right. <laughs> but, like, good luck to you. Her little her little thing about go upstairs and put on the tape, you know, I'll be up there soon. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> that yard, ma'am, that yard is going to take you a long time to fix. Like, is she going to plant a garden? Is she going to, like, <laughs> she's like landscape? Like, she might as well because she's like, I'm just going to do this now. No, no, you're not. It's okay to sleep. Like, set your alarm and get up. And start that process early. But she, but again, I think that she's just tired. We make mm. irresponsible choices sometimes when we're tired, we're cranky, whatever. And so that's her downfall. And, but I don't think that she necessarily hates Halloween. I think that no. she, because I mean, who, if you hate Halloween, are you going to allow that display? No, you're not. I think I think her issue is more that she knows that her um, husband, Henry, played by um, a Battlestar Galactica alum. So yeah. I like was really excited when I was watching that um, for the first time. Uh, but I think she's annoyed with her husband more because she knows that he's basically like a giant kid and he's probably not going to take down these these uh decorations by at by himself and so she just knows that he's not going to do anything for her so she needs to do it so i think there's an annoyance there of like he wants it to continue on because he's kind of a kid at heart and she's like dude there are so many things we have to do before mom comes over tomorrow and she's not going to like this and so you get the sense of frustration but you should not blow out the jack-o'-lanterns no and that's and that's really the point at the kind of end of their discussion before she sends them 
uh, to watch porn on repeat for <clears throat> hours. He's like, no, don't blow out this jack-o'-lantern before midnight. It's, it's bad mojo. It's bad luck. It's bad it's bad energy that you're releasing. And Sam is just across the street peeping the whole thing. And he's like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And she does. And it's right before midnight, and so she dies. Um and Sam gasps. That was a moment I love. I, know, I love when it when it goes like, out, it goes, <gasps> Sam's Yeah, I like, know, because no. he's like, Your husband just said like the one smart thing and you couldn't <laughs> listen. You could have listened. Plus, he's had um, a very busy night at this point. Like, we don't realize it, you know, at the start, but he has had a very, very busy night. And, and he's just like, come on, can I can I end this night on a high note? And she's yeah. like, nope. And I reiterate, Sam is a child. No, he's <laughs> not. He's the spirit of Halloween. He's not a child, but he's a child. He's tired. <laughs> it's past his bedtime. He's out doing his work because he just has to make sure that after, like, Around the midnight time, people are obeying the rules. Yeah. And these, he's just like, oh, you had one, one you chance. You had one job. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I do like the reveal of her strung up. Dismembered and strung up. Yeah. Like, that was something that I, I didn't realize this. I mean, I've realized... With the arm hanging down, that was bloody, obviously was her. But there's the moment when, right before that, where he is looking and there's the box that that Sam had jumped out of. And there is, you can see the the knee that belongs to his wife. So, like, totally ripped apart and just, like, placed in places. Well, and that's fitting with their decor because they have limbs hanging from trees. Yeah. So... Yeah, I do like this opening. I think it's it's a, a small bite, but very, very effective. And again, robust enough that you really get exactly what it's trying to say. Yeah. Um. So let's go on now to our kind of our second story. Our 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 hefty bit here, which is with Principal Stephen Wilkins. And Terry, now, as you said, these stories really do interlap. Mm -hmm. Um, Some stories more than more and um, more than others. And I think that Wilkins is one of those because we see him really in everything. We see everyone in everything. But he plays kind of a, an actual piece in a couple of different stories. So what did you think about the principal story? I, you know, I think this, this one is probably the, uh, the, the gory, uh, segment for this, for this, for this movie, because we get, boy, we get a lot of chocolate vomiting, um, tinged with blood. Like that goes on. For an exceeding amount of time, ends up spraying, you know, Principal Wilkins all over his shirt. Like it is, it's, this is like deliciously dark comedy because we have 
then the principal trying to drag the body in as it is burping up final residue of of its poison onto his shirt we have him meeting the the trick-or-treaters at the door who of course are our trio that will be following later um in the the boss massacre part we get we get all these little moments of like my favorite moment is the pirate kid who is like he looks at the ground and he seems to notice that there is chocolate vomit all the way up the stairs and he is following it up to wilkinson's shirt and he just sees this and it's this moment of like I don't think this is a trick. I think this might be real, but then he goes on his little, his little way. But I love those little tiny moments like that, where it's like, what is happening here? So yes, I agree. It always does make me laugh when the trick or treaters show up. Cause I'm like, Mm -hmm. there's obviously blood and chocolate vomit that you (laughs) just like move through to get your candy. Um, and you seem really unfazed for the most part about that, which, you know, if you, if there's a promise of like Reese's peanut butter cups, I get it. I get it. Um, so one of the things that really does, and the plot synopsis kind of gets into this, but one of the things I think this segment plays with is the son and father dynamic yeah so when you first saw this if you can kind of tap into your mind frame at that point did you think that the kid was in peril yeah absolutely i uh that it's it's like this moment what so he's burying the bodies out there and of course they're bodies of kids they're not necessarily probably of his son's age but like there's that idea of like a person killing other people to not kill their own it seems like at one point initially in here because that is sort of like a a, a trope we see sometimes in in um storytelling and so we're, we're we're going through this he's burying the bodies out in the back his son keeps hilariously interrupting him charlie brown's an asshole like just just interrupting him as he's as he's trying to do his work that he i guess does every 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 halloween because there are mm-hmm. he plants trees in it and there's like trees in the yard so like you you wonder how many bodies are hidden in his yard you realize that maybe his father sat him down and did this and this is like something a tradition that's passed down through his family but he seems really annoyed with his kid, especially at the very end where he's like mocking him with like, daddy, where's mommy? You know, like how she ran mm-hmm. off or mommy's dead or something like there's all these little moments of like, he does not seem to like his kid. And then, yes, when that knife goes down, I was like, what is happening? And of course, it's not his kid. Yeah. Um, There were a couple of things on my most recent watch for this record that I really honed in on, and I would love to get your thoughts. So there's a body that's kind of in this makeshift grave um, that's still kind of twitching that he kills the references to the plot. Who do you, who do you think this is? Oh, I don't know. It's another kid. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's another kid. Yes, for sure. I think there's multiple bodies in there. Okay, because we also assume that this 
so I've also heard that this is probably where the wife is buried, that he probably killed his wife. And she's buried there too. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like a, uh, and we also, I think, outside of the opening, if you're not paying super specific attention, this is where you really hone in on the fact that these are people who live very close to each other. So, uh, the Wilkins live next door to Krieg, and then Krieg lives across the street, kind of cattywampus, from uh, our couple from the beginning. So, um, it's another interesting way that you kind of can interweave those stories, but I like that they add more to it as opposed to just yeah. location. Um, well, and I, I do think one of the smart things that this story does is you had mentioned earlier about how, you know, this is like an 82 minute movie, but we get um, it feels like each story gets its due. And I think that's in part because we do see characters throughout each part so it's not like a typical anthology where it's like this is this one story and so the stories of like the red riding hood um and 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 a paquin's character are inserted from the very beginning and we sort of go back to them and touch on them a little bit so it feels as if it is a fully fledged story as opposed to all right here's this segment here's this segment here's this segment and i do think it even without adding a whole lot more runtime it does make it feel as if we are following these characters through the night. And so it gets us a little bit more attention on each segment. And I think that that is, again, a very smart um, and novel concept for this type of anthology. No, you, you nailed it. I love the fact that we do get kind of a journey through Mm -hmm. the night as opposed to just segment, 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 which obviously it's easier to do that when breaking down the stories and the plot, but these are like, you get bits and pieces uh, kind of woven in together. And I think that also helps with kind of leaving you a little bit off on your first view of how these stories all link together until the end. So I, I do think that's really kind of wonderful and honestly, kind of applies a bit of whimsy to it because you're like, oh, we're like, who is this? What is this? How how do these people know each other? What's going on? It's very interesting. Now, the other aspect of this story, of the principal story, going back to that, that I picked up specifically this time on this mm-hmm. rewatch. And I don't know if it's something that had hit you principal wilkins makes a specific comment about kind of like these halloween night traditions just like his dad used to do so are we looking at kind of a a lineage of i think so yeah i think so that was my my thought too and it was something that just didn't like i know i heard but just didn't really 
matter to me when I first watched it, but I was like, oh. So he was trained by his dad. And now this kid is like carving up schoolmates' heads <laughs> um, with his dad. So keeping it all in the family. Yeah. And then by the end of the uh the movie, we do get that shot that you mentioned earlier where the where Billy is now sitting on the steps dressed as his father. And so it's like this very subtle but like but important, I think, indication that, you know, it's like the father begets the legacy to the son, and now the son is is dressed as his father, presumably to do the same thing. Who knows what's gonna happen now that he is orphaned? Um, exactly. But, uh, but dad. yeah, because his dad is dead, his dad can no longer train him in the ways and help him with the eyes. His dad is dead. What um, a deliciously dark line, by the way, because you know, eyes were always the t- the trickiest part for me cutting out a jack o' lantern. And so, you think of something so innocuous of carving a jack o' lantern, and then you get down to it, and it's like, oh no, he needs help cutting out Charlie's eyes from his skull, and it just adds that delicious dark comedy twist to the end of it. And I just, oh, it's so perfect. It is. And again, like you are worried for Billy initially Mm -hmm. because honestly he, you know, like you said it perfectly. You get that, that line from Wilkins where he's like kind of mocking his kid. And being like, God damn, I just wish this kid would leave me alone. I don't think we get a specific age, but he makes, but Wilkins makes a specific comment about how he's going out on a date, aka going, I think, to the town fest to kill and to murder. <laughs> um, he's leaving the kid. Yeah. So he's leaving his kid alone. But this kid seems of the age that is just on that line of like, would you leave this kid alone? But then when you realize who this kid is, I'm like, fuck it. It's going to be fine. fine. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Um, Charlie Brown is an asshole and you are a murderer. Well done, kid. He's not a murderer, <laughs> but he participates in it. I guess. He sure does with some gusto because he seemed very excited. He was he was enjoying that bonding time. Wow. Truly something. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our next segment here. And this was the one that really stood out to me um on kind of my initial watch and has always just been really powerful. And that's the Halloween school bus massacre. And this is also one that really roots us into a lore um, with this story. So it's really kind of a two-tier story as well. We get the historical aspect of this bus filled with kids with uh, different significant healthcare challenges, be them behavioral, mental health. I think we have some physical um, disabilities as well. Um, the parents have essentially paid off a bus driver to 
kill them. Yep. And I want to get your initial thoughts on kind of that piece of the story. So I I think there's a lot going on here. So I think we have to realize that this was 30 years before. And so we're looking at like these kids in the seventies would -hmm. have been when this would have, would have been taking place. And I had tried to do some, um, some research into what, what mental health looked like in the seventies. And it wasn't the greatest from what I could gather. Um, There has been a history, particularly of wealthy parents who have, um, a kid with mental health issues, physical disabilities, whatever the case may be, hiding them. I mean, we have like the the, the story that um, the Simpsons had had kind of made fun of, where Bart finds out that he has a a twin that they've locked up in the attic, right? So, like, this is a story that I think we've seen throughout time, where people who are and the word is used in here, and I'm using it with quotes, embarrassed, like they're embarrassed that they have a kid that is not. Um, whatever the word I I'm, I don't know is not normal. And I'm using that in quotations. Right. So, and what do they do? They hide them. They it's obviously this, these kids are being shipped out to a school outside of their little town. They're locked in their, in their, uh, their seats. Like there is the, the way that it's portrayed here is so it's so sympathetic to these kids, particularly with the vampire who is just like, he realizes what's going on and he just wants to get home and isn't able to, um, there's just there's a lot here and it is framed with this these this golden light like it is daytime but it is surreal daytime it is like looking back and you sh- it should be looking back at like a time of goldenness cuz that's what the colors are screaming and it juxtaposes that with with this horrendous thing that's happening to these poor kids and i just think it is such a a smart way of storytelling in terms of structure i agree completely it's, I think, one of the most unsettling things is the way that the kids are restrained. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, there's that moment with the kid who, all these kids are dressed up. It's Halloween. And you have a kid that is dressed up as a vampire, and he kind of locks in that things are askew. And there's something off. And that moment where he's trying to, like, get up, it just, I don't know. Like, you have this reaction of, like, (gasps) oh, no. Um, But this is, like you said, kind of crouched in a story that's also taking place current day. Mm-hmm. You have, because we get this story, but we don't necessarily connect it with anything else happening at that time. It's right. just kind of like town lore. Um, but you have these four kids. You have Macy, Chip, uh, Schrader, and Sarah. And spearheaded by Macy, they're going around and collecting jack-o'-lanterns from people because they want to be able to pay a tribute to these kids that were on the bus and there were eight so 
Um, we do get some pretty funny moments of them collecting the jack-o'-lanterns. I love, obviously, the standout moment is them sobbing at their teacher's house. <laughs> Who offers them a drink? so they're going around collecting and we know nothing about these kids just that they're kids doing a thing they're doing their halloween business they stop at a, a teacher's house and she's having a halloween party and by party it's it's a party Slash orgy? <laughs> yeah. The pirate, again, the most, like, I he he has, like, the best moments. Because before, he's, like, the one that notices the blood trail. And yeah. now he's, like, he makes a comment about um that his coach was dressed as a hot dog, but fucking a pig. A pig, yeah. Because, what? yeah, because I think either Macy or Sarah says, like, did you see what was going on there? And he's, like, yeah. <laughs> Coach was dressed as a hot dog, but fucking a pig. Like, yeah, I saw it. We all saw she do. it. <laughs> um, but no, she like this teacher who opens the door, like offers him alcohol, and is like, I won't tell. And they're like, No. We just, we just want your jack o' lantern. Like, can we just get a fucking jack o' lantern and we'll say the time for therapy we'll see you monday morning <laughs> or will we we don't know yeah at this point we won't but um so um but it's crouched as these kids who are trying we think are doing something that's very reverent to these students and they come across Rhonda. And they call her. Oh boy. They yeah, sure they, do. They call her Rhonda the retard. Ugh. Um yeah. again, we are taking a character that is coded with disability because nothing is ever discussed. She never says she's has a diagnosis of any kind. She could just be a kid who's really into what she's into. Yeah. Digs Halloween. And that's she's it. the she's the as the kids would say, the weird girl, right? She loves Halloween. She's very shy. So you we don't we don't get enough about like what and I think to the maybe to the detriment of this particular episode in and of itself, we don't really get to see um like a like history because it is so short so we don't really get to know these characters but yes she is she's just a the shy girl that is in love with halloween and and is so interested in halloween that she can talk about Samhain and she can talk about the celtic lore of of what established halloween because she is interested in it but we don't really get to know anything else about her she's just a little girl that loves halloween yeah let her be yeah exactly and she's dressed up as a witch, um, just being about her business. And so she is asked to come along with this group. And there's just something to me that is next level sinister 
about what these kids do. Because they lure her down. They decide we're creating this this thing around these kids who are disabled. Um, and we're going to kind of use this story to get a kid that is coded as disabled so that we can harm them. It's just, there's just a, a filth to it that I think, and I say this, I don't want it to come off as though I'm saying, like, I think it's necessarily a bad thing. I like that there's that feeling of ick. The fact that I can walk away with a feeling of ick means I think that this film understood what it wanted to say. If I was coming off with anything else, I would feel a lot more, I think, divided about it. Does that make sense? It does. I'm happy to hear you say that because this is one that seems like out of nowhere, it is tackling something a little bit different than the other stories. Mm -hmm. But what I do think it does really well, it, it maybe maybe a little too subtly because I do think you have to sort of lean into what it's trying to say, as opposed to it just telling you, you know, what it's, what it's doing. But because we have that, the flashback to the 30 to 30 years ago, and we see the way that um, the disabled kids were treated back then. And now we're 30 years later. And we like to think that we are, you know, a bit more progressive and more evolved. And we are having these kids now, I mean, and let's be honest, these kids potentially could be like, you know, uh, the kids of parents that grew up with those kids back in those days, because it's 30 years later, and they are of the like little young teen, preteen age that they could potentially be kids of parents that might have known those kids back in the in the 70s. Um, And so we see that these kids are now being just as mean, and just as horrible to these kids as as was happening back 30 years ago and so i think that the story is a little subtly a little quietly but sort of critiquing how far we may not have come in that intervening 30 years that is so perfectly stated um i love that and i i i love that you honed in on the aspect of progress because I think we do like to think, oh, well, we're in a different time. We've come so far without really checking ourselves and saying, well, have we, though? Mm-hmm. Have we really made certain strides that we think that we have? Or are we just kind of checking a box that maybe we shouldn't? And, yeah, yeah so these kids are kind of luring her down to play this awful prank on her scare her um now i should say like they're not planning on killing her no so there is i guess you know collapse to them well but there's also like this this inherent implication here i think that it's almost like they want to ruin this holiday for her right because like she loves halloween and now now, I mean, you could look at this. I mean, I think she gets her, her, you know, revenge. And so it's probably doesn't affect her. But like, from their perspective, this could ruin the one thing that she obviously loves so much, because yeah. she, she would have a trauma attached to this night. 
of this ghost. And so I find it so, even though, yeah, they don't plan to to kill <laughs> Rhonda, the fact that they seem to be intent with destroying her love of the holiday just is, again, so sinister. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I love that. I love that point. Um, But like you said, Rhonda kind of gets, kind of gets hers in a way. Um, mm-hmm. because she, she is of the Halloween spirit. And on Halloween, what will carry you through the Halloween spirit, aka Mr. Sam in his footy pajamas. He's going to be your protector and he knows what's what. And when Rhonda realizes that what has happened, she's able to kind of get herself to like this elevator because they're down in a quarry. So there's like this elevator that goes up. She's able to get up when she's really, really frightened to get herself to the elevator. But once the actual kids start rising from the pond she just goes up and you have the i think it's chip that is kind of nice to her um during that time and he's like hey can i come up with you and she's like wish you could but you can't (laughs) um i have too many jack-o'-lanterns in here there's not enough room sorry can't get the next one like we're full at capacity bye (laughs) um but there is something that is really interesting so again she's coded as being on the spectrum and there is something that i find really interesting about how she reacts as she's going up she is completely seemingly emotionally unaffected um you know, like you talk about being traumatized. Mm-hmm. Nothing really seems to have set in with yeah. her. No, that's more than likely not true. But this is something that we often apply um, to folks that are on the spectrum. Right. That they have difficulty displaying certain emotions. And so it, it's just... there's there's a complex little bit there that I don't know if it's handled immensely well. And I think a lot of people won't maybe put those pieces together, but I I was like, Oh, so we have the coded uh, character on the spectrum, not able to show emotion. Okay. Interesting. Um, But yeah, she truly, she, Sam is right there waiting, um, sees her and they cross paths and kind of give a nod. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I've got nothing. He's like, you, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> he, he's like, you like join my team. Let me send you an invite. Um, so she is of the Halloween spirit. She is great. And I do like her. I, and you know, one thing I do want to circle back before we move on to the next story that I do find really, really sweet about um, Rhonda 
is that she does have like just all this knowledge about like the lore of Halloween and its roots and she's so excited to kind of share it um you know again this is a film about Halloween mm-hmm. the spirit of it and I just I just love that we have a character that's so in to just Halloween purely yeah well and she also kind of gives us the uh the um the little rule here where you know it's the the line between the living and the dead is at is at its thinnest and so we we get that line and that's what happens in the story where it's the thinnest and now the the spirits of the the kids that died down there are coming back to the to the living and so i love that again the story ties into all the different themes that we're exploring of the night checking your candy understanding that um the 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 barrier between the living and dead is very thin the not blowing out your jack-o'-lanterns letting them kind of protect you throughout the rest of the night because they're all tied to these deep lore of the holiday both Mm -hmm. either the the pagan roots of it or also like the way that we have uh, appropriated it now in terms of checking your candy and all that kind of stuff and i just i love that she is our little bit of font of knowledge to sort of set this this stage a little bit more for it yeah absolutely and what do you, what do you think about Macy as kind of like our our mean girl head? She's horrible. She is awful. And the thing is, is that you, on first blush, you think that she's, you're like, oh, she's okay. She wants to do a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then just her evilness is slowly well- peeled back. And I think that there's jealousy there because anytime that um, she obviously likes Schrader mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a little cutie, but the thing is, is that every single time that like he starts to show his attention towards Rhonda, mm-hmm. she gets the vindictiveness sort of comes out in her. She rolls her eyes at one point um, when, when Schrader wants to stop this from, ha- you know, after like the, the joke has gone too far and he is starting to feel really bad about the way that they've treated Rhonda. That's when she kicks the, the jack-o'-lantern into the, into the water, which breaks the, you know, the seal and allows those ghosts to come out and not, and, and go after them, which is why I think it's also so smart when, when Rhonda's in the elevator at the end, she is covered. Like there's a lot of lit jack-o'-lanterns there. She is protected. Even yep. those ghosts want to hurt her, she is protected. But because Macy, because of her jealousy, kicked that that pumpkin into the into the to the lake. It's like that's that's it for her. Like you, and it's interesting. Again, it really does kind of put that final stamp on the fact that essentially Macy is a fraud. Like she mm-hmm. wanted to present that this was something about halloween tradition and yet she's she's bucking one of the big ones and it leads to her her demise um there's also there's also something very and i mean we didn't say this with the principal story but you know these two stories in particular there's something so wild about a film that will just kill kids kids. Mm -hmm. and let them be like the the meat for the and let them be horrible like allow the kids to be 
assholes and be terrible individuals. And then also we get to kill them. Like it's, you don't see that a whole lot in movies. And I love, I love it when that happens. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. So you mentioned that kind of our, our next story is one of your favorites of the film. And that is surprise party, AKA werewolves in Ohio. Um, We do love it. As you do. Yeah. As again, Ohio, what are you about? Because (laughs) just wild times afoot there. Um, So we have our band of ladies um, that are basically tourists because I guess the reason that we can check this and accept it immediately is that this is a destination for Halloween, like this town mm-hmm. fest and, and all these things. It's a wild time. Lots of people come from miles around to participate. Was that your vibe? Yeah, absolutely. Like this is the place to go for Halloween and I mean, I want to go there for Halloween, even if there's an off chance that I could be, you know, murdered. I still want to go there for Halloween because it looks a lot of fun. Yeah. Even the little bit that I think we get of the parade. I'm like, that seems. That's an epic substantial. parade. <laughs> that seems substantial. I would be into it. Um, so. We we get our full blown story with these girls that they are werewolves and we have Anna Paquin's character Lori who I guess is the youngest and this is she's the runt of the litter as her sister says so this is also a story where you get a lot of those lines that really do like they're not trying to necessarily hide what the quote unquote reveal twist whatever you want to call it is um and i kind of respect that because the minute that you go back and rewatch it you're like from line like line goddamn how did i not see it (laughs) from line goddamn two they're basically saying we are werewolves hello Mm -hmm. um but so my first question about this is okay this is this is an incredible story but what do you, what resonates with you the most about it? I think there's a lot. There's a lot. First of all, I love stories that have inversions of expectations. And yes. so the fact that we have Little Red Riding Hood, so we immediately know that Red Riding Hood is a story told basically to, to tell young women that there are going to be people out in the woods that want to hurt you. So protect yourself is basically kind of like the idea of the story. I mean, you could retake it even further. So we have like this girl who mentions that she is very young. She looks very young in this dress. Like she's a kid and she is being set out into the wilderness to, we think initially find someone to lose her virginity to, which again is, is like this very, um, I don't know, rooted in misogyny, in in my opinion. And we get that earlier. Like, I love their first introduction to these these women are the little kid peeping in on her as they're changing. So we get the male gaze. We get this male gaze on, on her, on the breasts that are being held very carefully by the costumes. It's sexualized. They are hypersexualized characters. And they're going out and it looks like they're trying to help the youngest of the group 
loser V card is the is the initial implication. Mm-hmm. While this is also happening, we have this vampire that is flitting through the crowd, biting people, killing people, and we don't realize who that person is initially, but he is all of a sudden stalking um little red riding hood and we get through the forest and it's like oh the big bad wolf and then surprise the big bad wolf is me i'm the big bad wolf you're my prey it's not the opposite way around and so that is one of the things that i love about this and the other is this idea that it ties into halloween of like um this this concept of us um trying to blend in and so we we wear masks we wear the horrible things so that the ghosts will maybe mistake us as one of them and it's the same thing here. These werewolves are dressed up as humans to kind of flit about the humanity and not be seen for the quote unquote monsters they are inside. And so I love, I love all those little juxtapositions that the story pulls together and then surprises, continually surprises us with. What did you, so I know this was stated so many different places but you mentioned the male gaze you mentioned the kid at the beginning when they're getting into their costumes taking a peek that kid is the kid that plays sam so is it i didn't realize that yeah that is a kid that plays sam thus sam is a kid (laughs) um he has seen things he has seen things but What's interesting, though, so if we even, like, obviously this is just a little fun thing in the film, but think about it. What you just mentioned is so fucking perfect, it kind of blows my mind. Because Sam is in a costume. He has his little thing over his head. Um... So that you can fit in with all the other people in their costumes. But mm-hmm. here we're in a costume shop, right? So not everyone is in their costume. They're looking for their costume. They're getting their costume ready. So Sam is dressed up as a human. Mm. Just like these girls are dressed up as a human. Uh, yeah. And he's checking in on them to make sure that they are following proper protocols. So not necessarily a now, again, the film does some different things. This is just me applying my ideas. But, it, you know. It's I love just that, me. though. Sam being like, y'all, y'all following the rules? Y'all doing good? <laughs> y'all hiding your hair? <laughs> yeah, because I'll check in later. And we'll see how that's going. Um, So I do love that. It's just a, you mentioning, like, yeah, on Halloween, we disguise ourselves. You have these werewolves that are disguised as humans. Where on Halloween, we disguise ourselves as werewolves and other monsters. Um, So I just love that little delicious bit there. Um, Surprise after surprise, and I just love it. And I also love that a little bit earlier, Rhonda hears wolves howling and goes, <gasps> werewolves. Like, she knows. Yeah. She knows. And it's just, it just, everything is so tied together so neatly and it's just so perfect. Yeah, because the girl knows. Rhonda is our scholar. She's going to be dropping journal articles and we will read them. Um, yeah, we will. So, we're still at the costume shop. 
what do you think? What are your thoughts, feelings, vibes, gut check on these girls dressed up as very specific Disney princesses? I think I think some of it yes they are definitely Disney princesses I wasn't really going in that direction when I when I was watching this because I was like these are all fairy tale characters is is kind of my my uh read of it yes it is very like I think especially for Americans like we're gonna see those and we're gonna obviously think Disney like that is that is gonna be where where we initially go but I do think that it is uh, a lot of you know we're we're kind of hammering in on the fact that this is a, a fairy tale this is a folklore this is tied to that kind of tradition that again also influences halloween and so i i, I think that's sort of where i was going with that but um <laughs> they are all disney princesses aren't they <laughs> yeah because you've got snow white you've got yep. cinderella but no i think to your point also though you do have um red riding hood and yeah, I, I see your point there about it being more rooted in kind of like that, that folklore fairy tale. Do you think that there's any, that there's, we're supposed to take any symbolism from these girls specific costumes? Like I said, we've got Snow White. Well, obviously, I think we have to take Red Riding Hood out of the equation because that's, yeah, that's, an obvious one. Oh, it's very obvious. But what about Cinderella and our other our other ladies? Do you think that there's specific symbolism that we we should be honing in on? Hmm. I might have to think about that one because there might be. I I struggle with it because as I was watching this bit, I was like. Am I so like, are there lines that are being dropped? Because again, this is one of the stories that is very, I think, apparent with their lines. And especially after you've watched it once or twice, you fully get what it's saying. Um, I was as like, I don't, I don't know if there is. The first time I watched it, I thought that these were just people, except for Little Red Riding Hood, that were like, Oh, well, we need costumes, so we're just going to go get whatever is off the rack. I do wonder if there's sort of an element of innocence that they're trying to, like, portray in -hmm. terms of, because they're all trying to basically, they're basically trawling for men that they can go have sex with slash murder, unsure. Um, But there, there is like this, this, I always think back to, uh, mean Girls, where um, Katie says that, you know, Halloween is the one time a year where women can dress up as sluts and, and get away with it is sort of is sort of like the implication that is said there. And while they're not dressed, this, this is definitely not slutty attire for them. It is yeah. definitely like um, accentuating their uh, their features to the point where it is it is sort of like they are bait and they are trying to get someone that they that will now be wanting to hang out with them that they can go and and do this traditional fresh meat as as she tells Lori at one point uh so i do think there might be something there in terms of like innocence and using the trappings of like these these characters that are typically portrayed as as naive um 
as being, you know, um, innocent in a way as a way to lure men into them potentially. I love, I love that. I also think in, in, and you touched on this, this is kind of a, a coming of age story mm-hmm. in, in a lot of factors. And there's a lot of werewolf stories that do that, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. hello, ginger snaps. Um, you know, where it is girls of a certain age and here's now what this form of, I guess, puberty looks like. Um, and I, you know, this is, you mentioned like her, um, you know, like the, the way that they talk about sending Lori off to the woods and getting dates and all of these things, it is very much like, okay, you know, you need to go out there, find a guy because you need to lose your virginity. And there is that undertone to it. But again, I think it's all packed in with that. This is coming of age. This is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore and I'm now joining this group. Um, of older older girls to to be part and i i don't know there's something that's really uh interesting kind of fantastic about it um i also like that um so throughout we intercut the film with just scenes of them like basically checking out these other dudes and especially I think Danielle um, is certainly trying to get Lori a date. I think she's like, I don't know if Lori can pull this off herself. So I need to be on the lookout for someone that I can serve up to Lori. And so she finds some interesting some interesting folks. They basically, any guy that they see, they will chat with and be like, would you like to come to a party? Um, I do like, there's a throwaway comment. I don't know if you caught this. It's actually, I think it's actually kind of quiet in like the sound. I think it might be Maria who says this. But when they're talking about guys, they're like, oh, but we found a girl for you last year or the year before. Yeah, they're like. I must. And I was like, well, now we're talking. What's (laughs) that? Yeah. Oh, my God. I've seen this movie how many times? I don't think I've ever picked up on that. There's this really quiet line about them like because it's all guys um that we see kind of at the final bonfire but yeah they mentioned like yeah there was a girl involved i was like well there you go there's there it is I have to go rewatch this again <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to see it um so we do get the those moments and they're pretty brief 
um, they're just basically like talking to these different guys and being like, come to this party. And of course, we see most of them at the party. And I think in total, so we're focused in on these four girls. I want to say there's eight or nine. Yeah. Total at the bonfire. So they're trying to like round up all of the guys for all of the people. And we get Lori attacked in the woods by the same uh, masked vampire dude um, that we saw before. And he makes the comment about what big eyes you have because originality is not in his forte. No, it is not. Um, Were you surprised by this moment? Which one? The... Were you the, surprised by by the vampire character being the first time that you watched it? Were you like, "Oh, the vampire's back"? Um, I wasn't necessarily surprised that the vampire is back because I was like, "We we get because at first we don't realize that it's it's Principal Wilkins that is in his costume, right. and so we just see him the very briefly murdering this woman, and you're like, "Okay, who is this guy?" And then you see him little bits throughout, and so I was like, "There has to be." he has to have more to do with the story than just a single alleyway bite. Like there's no point for that. And so when it was him stalking her, I was like, okay, so now we're going to, we're going to get this, but I was not expecting a, that the body that falls to the trees was him The B, these are all werewolves. And yeah, that whole thing, like it's a double, it's a double shock. Oh, and then that, that it's, it's principal Wilkins is, is the, is the vampire behind it all. And he has fake fangs. Like these are all, these are all big twists that happen. Like one bump, 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 one right after the other. And I just, I was not prepared for it. And I think that's what made me initially fall in love with this, with this story in particular the most, because it's, it is a very feminist, uh, um, twist on this story basic but also a a feminist twist on it and i love the way it plays with gender dynamics and so this these these set of reveals always works for me but the first time i saw it i was like blown away yes you're exactly right we get all of these little reveal moments literally within a minute and a half yeah um and it is so exquisitely done we see uh, Lori and Apaquin's character being attacked in the woods. Mm-hmm. And it seems very vicious. And we're like, oh, no, not Anna Paquin being attacked by a vampire before we knew that she was into <laughs> that. Um, so okay. when we, when we, it's okay. when we see the, the body fall, we're like, but there was something about it. Like the minute that I saw the body, I'm like, that's not her. Like y'all, I know Anna Paquin. That's not Anna Paquin. <laughs> um, and so she just comes striding up. Like she's had her first taste and was like, you tried to bite me. And so it's very fuck around, find out. Mm. And he definitely finds out. Um, so they rip off his mask. It's revealed to be Wilkins. They take out his, his fangs, which are fake, but they have to be pretty, like, they have to be really sharp. They have to be really sharp and probably like, 
I don't know. Like I'm, I'm really intrigued. Like these have to be specially made. Yeah. Because they fit super well. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was like, okay. So is that also what you're doing down in that basement? Like <laughs> yourself some teeth. Um, but this is, like you said, this is when we really get that flip of suddenly where we have just moments before because I think that all of this happens sequentially um we get from this girl attacked in the woods little red riding hood attacked in the woods um to now little red robin robin hood being like all right it's my first time so bear with me and she's transforming into a werewolf and just like ripping him to shreds and then you have Danielle. oh sorry go ahead no and then you have danielle who is fully transformed into werewolf because again they talk about her fully transforming she really doesn't because i think her face stays the same where the others go full Mm -hmm. werewolf um but danielle is off to the side and is like that's my sister Coaching her on. No, like, look at you. It's so. That's your first man. Yeah, like, oh, it's like, I don't like. (laughs) When you are thinking about this in terms of like how they've really talked about this in terms of sexuality and like, this is your first time having sex. I'm like, the like, my sister needs needs to be the farthest removed from <laughs> of anyone like please yeah. i don't want to tell you i don't want you to know you certainly don't need to have like front view seats. <laughs> uh so you can check that but um it is very sweet that again you have like this supportive group that is there for her because i think one of the things that's kind of lost in this moment and kind of the the gnarliness of it is that I think she's supposed to be a little scared still. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think we lose it. I think we lose a smidge of that um, because of everything else that's going on, but she's, I mean, there's a lot happening, right? Right. At all together. And so you're right. I do think that we do lose a little bit of the character moment for her as as far as like this being such a big moment because we're like boom 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 with all these reveals yeah so i don't know i think that if you were to to have a nitpick about the story that would be mine but it does come together so so well and then of course last little shot there is sam just sitting on a log i assume admiring the carnage yeah and probably having some s'mores yeah. I don't know. Because he's a kid. He's a goddamn kid watching this. Gotta the, other thing, <laughs> the other thing I love is that if you're going to have a story about werewolves, you got to have a good werewolf transition. That is just, that for me is key number one. And I love the werewolf reveal in this where it's just like okay. skin is just coming off. And it's just like, 
it's so gnarly but the the moment that i love so perfectly is when one of the one of the women uses her nail and cuts down the back as if like you're unzipping a dress yes. you know, dresses having to be zipped in the back and she's just like i'm going to unzip this for you it's such a small moment but it is one that really ties into this idea of them wearing a costume because they are literally unzipping the costume from the back using a nail it's so it's so good. It's such a good visual moment. Yeah, because they're taking off kind of two costumes. They're taking off the costumes that they bought, mm-hmm. and they're taking off their flesh costume. It's like costumeception. Yeah, it is. Um, so I, I do. This is an interesting story. It's very, I think, very well done. And I mean, I think you can also tie it in. You know, going back to what you you said so well about kind of this concept of how on Halloween we disguise ourselves, we fit in, kind of that piece. You know, this is also someone who doesn't fit in to regular society. Um, Because I guess one of the things, too, about the story and and maybe you have a different take or or a different read on it she's she's young but apparently like this should have happened before yeah and so she's kind of a late bloomer in that mm-hmm. and so you do get this girl who just isn't fitting in but is kind of desperate to i think she she's going back and forth with like i do i feel comfortable with this am i feeling comfortable with every choice that is being made here um because her sister danielle is really pulling a lot of strings really, yeah. mm-hmm. but she seems okay with it because she understands like okay she's she just wants me to be part of the group and to take this next step so but there is that that idea of just this girl that's doesn't fit in and is, you know, trying to find a way to kind of reconcile that. And I think both in terms of her group, but with herself. I do think that that sort of ties into the heroes that we see in the story as being sort of outcasts of society too, with a way, because we have, we have her obviously trying to struggle to fit in with her with her peers, um, but we also have the idea that they are, you know, werewolves masquerading as humans. So, like, they are not of society. We have the issue with um, Rhonda, who obviously is not seen as part of society. She is deemed as other. She is deemed as less than by Macy and the other and the other bullies. Um, we have the story of the the kids from the seventies who were killed for being different. We have Sam, who is pretty much a casual observer. Like, yes, he does get involved in a couple instances, but for the most part, he is sort of above and and outside of what our world looks at. There's the moments whenever he goes trick-or-treating, um, he's like behind the other kids, almost as if they don't see him. He yeah. is, but he is, so it's it's sort of like Halloween is for the misfits and for the the outcasts. And I do think that very subtly, I don't, I'm not interested sure if this was intentional or not, because it, there's no, I don't think you have to like do a little bit of, of connecting the dots on your own, but there are 
uh, there is a thread throughout this of of um the sort of outcasts getting revenge on the rest of society in a way yeah and i think specifically these segments of society that target them mm-hmm. um you know that goes back to Rhonda. she was being bullied it wasn't yeah. like she was going and just you know attacking random kids she was a she retaliated and i don't even want to say retaliated she didn't really do right anything but she you know she didn't help because she's like you guys wanted to hurt me so why why am i gonna to help you um i've told you everything you didn't want to listen you mocked me Mm -hmm. you made fun of me so Mm -hmm. here's here's what you get and I, I love that, that Halloween is for the misfits. Um, I think that's a really kind of beautiful idea. Um, so now we get to, I guess, I guess this is kind of part one <laughs> of Sam and Krieg to kind of wrap up our film. Um, this is the big set piece. Yeah. So Krieg, like I said, played by Brian Cox, you know, love him or hate him. He, he does have just this bizarre presence that is undeniable. And even mm-hmm. in kind of a smaller role like this, I think he's such a standout. Um, he really is. So we were first introduced to him at the beginning with, uh, Principal Wilkins as he the tosses neighbor. a finger to like get his dog. Yep. <laughs> um, but again, we think, oh, just an asshole neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a a spur in Wilkins' side, stopping him and kind of perhaps hampering his plan of burying body number whatever in this grave. Um. But here we get more. Um, so he hates Halloween. And now this is someone that I would say definitely does not like the holiday as opposed. Yeah, but also I think he deserves to not like the holiday considering I think the immense guilt that he has over what he yes. did back in the 70s. Absolutely. There's a lot of complexity. He has his reason. Mm-hmm. And I get it. But this is someone that when they say, yes, dislikes Halloween, I'm like, obviously. Yes. Um, but throughout the night, so he's he's not engaging with the Halloween festivities. We don't see him at the town fest, nothing like that. But as we talk through with the plot breakdown, he starts to notice things like, what are, you know, kind of like Halloween shenanigans at first? The house being egged. He's got a yard full of jack-o'-lanterns. Um, that's giggling, running through his, his, uh, his yard. Yep. Um, and then a little bit later, we see all the writing on the wall, but I think that happens after Sam gets in. Yeah, that happens after he goes upstairs to check in because the dog, I think, gets killed. Yeah. So, you know, 
double check, does the dog die? Um, I think the dog does die in it, but we don't see it, and it's all right. It's not all right, but it's all right that we don't see it. Um, so this is really a standoff between Sam and Craig because Sam is like, now you're really an asshole and we will tango about it Hmm. because a one, you are not like, you don't even want to participate in Halloween. And I have some issues with that. Second off, you killed some people. Really upset about that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to like torture you for a bit. And again, this very much reminds me of kind of the Judd and Gage back and forth in Pet Cemetery. You have this little kid. Again, Sam is a kid. Um, and you have Judd, who is this, you know, kind of, he was fucking Herman Munster. He's a presence. Like, he's yeah, he's a, a man of heft in Thomas. Um, so you, you kind of have like that going on. Um, I, uh, cause I, Sam doesn't get the Achilles heel, does he? I, if it not, it's pretty close to it. Like it yeah. is, it is definitely in that, in that ballpark. I was, I was anticipating an Achilles heel moment. Cause then that would be like, all right, y'all, I think, I, I think we get it. Um, but I I do love the standoff. What? Let's talk about Craig for a moment. When we first are introduced to him, did you have any notion that he would be coming back in such a way? Well, I mean, I knew that it was Brian Cox, and I knew you don't just get Brian Cox to have, like, the neighbor through the fence and there's the moment where wilkins sees him and he's like why help me out help me out and and then wilkins ignores him and then we see a form knocking him off you know out of the window (laughs) and so we get that in the beginning and so i'm like we have to if this is a good movie is what i was initially thinking we're going to see what happened to this guy and so I'm really glad that it, that it did go in that direction. But I, first time I'm like, there's so much happening when you first watch this movie that it's like you're discombobulated and you're just trying to keep up with with everyone's story. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like that that they had to at least address what was going on over there. I agree. I I felt like there would be something that would circle back. Absolutely. On my first watch, did not anticipate no the full story. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm also like, the second time I watched this, I was mad at myself because <laughs> like with the Red Riding Hood story where they're like the rent of the litter, fresh meat, like they're obviously suggesting that they are werewolves. Here we have this man who's first introduced with his gaspy, raspy breath, right? And then after we get the the flashback of the kids going off the cliff and we see the the bus driver climbing up, he has the same exact wheeze as as this man. Did not put it together, but was very angry at myself in my second watch that I did not catch that. (laughs) 
No, that's such a good point because I didn't catch that for, I think, for a while. And then I was like, oh, yeah, they are trying to to let us know. They I do layer think- out those breadcrumbs, but a lot of times we just don't follow them. And I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Um so good. So, so that's interesting. I, I'm glad that we're, we both, even on our first watch, we're like, this has to be something that we at least figure out what's going on in the house. So one of the things about the timeline of this film is that a lot of these stories are happening at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like between a block of time, you have these stories and we're seeing them play out individually but we're seeing kind of that we're getting that little sliver of where they potentially kind of overlap and and come into each other with how the characters enter interact so we see him interact with a group of trick-or-treaters sam gets in Let's talk about just the brutality of Sam and how wonderful it is. So Sam not just fucks with Krieg physically by like stabbing him with his lollipop. Hmm. Um, but really fucks with him mentally by, I think, again, going back to, it's Halloween. You did this on Halloween. Just so you know, and as a spirit of Halloween, I have feelings about it. And I have to let you know. How do you, do you think that, what, what are your feelings on how, like, the violence between Sam and Krieg escalates i think it's i think it's good i think it's i think it works for for a number of reasons one because uh this is the last of the segments that we're seeing uh that is that is supposed to kind of tie a lot of things together we so in terms of that being the big set piece the the escalation of of basically what is basically a home invasion story of the spirit sort of forcing its way into the guy's house almost as a way of being like i love the 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 subtle escalation of like you know it's an egg getting tossed which is a a, you know tradition on halloween right or wrong Mm -hmm. and then that's not doing anything so then now we have we're 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 trying to make the house feel festive so now we have jack-o'-lanterns and it's still not doing anything for this man who is unwilling to embrace the holiday and so now he is entering the house and he is he is doing everything and he's in his power to to suggest the man play trick-or-treat with him and and engage with the rules of and the traditions of halloween and so that's why i love the big reveal with the pumpkin that shoots flame and it highlights that it's been written and i'm guessing blood all over the walls and the ceiling trick-or-treat give me Mm -hmm. something to eat or something like that. Right. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's all of that. And I love the way that it turns into that into an all out brawl with shotguns and there's booby traps on the stairs of candy that he falls down. Like, it's just, it's just, 
it tying everything together in a very big set piece to to sort of send us out the door on. And I, I love it. Yeah. And I think that part of, so I think the idea, and tell me if you have a different take on this, the idea of Sam really forcing Halloween and traditions on Creek is really to make him come to terms with what he did. Yeah. To say, Mm -hmm. you have kind of disassociated yourself from this holiday because of what you did on this holiday. And now we do have to pause for a second and go back to that initial 30 years ago story where the bus driver was paid. Mm-hmm. But the way that the story plays out is that he didn't want to do it. And it was an accident um, that occurred that one of the kids mm-hmm. um, drove the bus off the cliff unintentionally. And, but he was still very much part of it and he survived and he was part of the cover up and never said anything. So I think that's an important piece too, because I think within that, so many layers of guilt to unpack it's not just i did this it's well i didn't want to do this i technically didn't but i didn't stop i think you're still going to yeah i think and that's the thing like when we get into those moments it's like just because x happened didn't mean that this thing was gonna wouldn't have happened if that hadn't happened first like, I I agree with you. And I think that's part of why he just shut down. Mm-hmm. He took on a different name um, and kind of uh, lost, lost his Halloween spirit, so to speak. So... One thing that's mentioned, and you talked about, like, the the gun, the rifle. One thing that I love is that there's this moment. It's when, really, Sam is getting wrecked um, and kind of torn to pieces a bit. He gets shot by Krieg. And instead of blood, you get pumpkin pumpkin guts it's such a beautiful detail i love mm-hmm. it so much um again this is a child um so but because sam is a being um parts of his body are still animated and he's still able to wreck a little bit of havoc on Krieg with some stabs, but he doesn't kill him. And this was the part for me that made me pause because I was like, 
Now, I saw at the beginning that Sam gave no fucks about finishing someone off. So, so what do we have here? We see a hilariously bandaged Krieg answer the door to give Halloween candy. And who is there to greet him? But the kids from the bus. Yep. Again, perfect little EC Comics morality tale, final comeuppance twist at the end. Because you think, okay, he might be respecting Halloween now because the the the, the lollipop stabs into a candy bar, and and the and Sam's like, okay, I got my treat, I played my trick, got my treat, I can leave now. But also, also, I think he knows. I think he knows what's eventually coming down the pike for for Mister Krieg. Yeah, because he knows that the the kids were were out and about. He was at the quarry. Yeah, he checked in on Rhonda. He's like, "We good? We're good. Good to know." Um, so I really think that he was just kind of like an opening act. He's like, "Okay, this this will be fun. I'm gonna go fuck him up, so that these kids can really have their their fun." Mm-hmm. with him and so yeah like i i mentioned before that's when we get the comic book kind of sequence where we see kind of them tearing him to shreds um and then of course everything is kind of packed up um with us really getting that full picture of that moment back at the beginning where truly every little piece kind of comes together. Uh, we see the girls in the car laughing. We see Sam across the street. We see Krieg. We see the Rhonda couple. with her, with her, uh, pump, her jack lantern in the little wagon. Yep. We see it all. So I think it's just a nice little way to, you know, let us all know that this, I, I think this, it helps us understand that all of these stories were kind of happening at the same time, kind of in, in a certain sequence. So yeah, that, that is trick or treat. Mm-hmm. So is this a, an annual watch for you, Terry? It is an annual watch for me. I watch it every every Halloween. I pretty much watch it. I don't think I'll be watching it again this Halloween because I just literally watched it for this. But it's <laughs> but um, I it is this is a this is a tradition, and I was happy to continue it last night. Yay! Okay, so I have to ask, what are there any other like I have to watch this Halloween time films for you? Well, I will say that one of the the new ones for me is probably going to be Dark Harvest, which just came out um, yes. by David Slade. It's an adaptation of a book, and I would recommend um, fans of audiobooks to listen to the audiobook version of that of that story, The Dark Harvest, because the narrator just does such a has such a gravelly whiskey fueled voice. It sounds like that. It mm-hmm. just, it feels like you were sitting around a, um, a smoky fire pit and being told some spooky story. And so oh, wow. I think 
I think between the, that shorts, it's not it's not a very long story. I think it I think it's like I think the audiobooks maybe five hours, um, if that. And so it's a very short story. The the movie adaptation is also just screams Halloween. It's set on Halloween. It's it's that is also going to be I think a tradition of mine just because of how perfectly it sets the tone for what I want on a Halloween night. Oh, I love that. And I do like an audiobook. Um, I walk to and from work every day. So, and it's an hour. Um, so to have something that I could finish within a few trips, what a delight. Oh, I love this. It's this good. It's good. This is exciting. Um, excellent. And I've seen some people talk about Dark Harvest, so I'm really anxious to check it out. Um, Love that. Yeah, I think that everyone kind of has those go-to films that, you know, and so it's exciting when there's something new that mm-hmm. pops up and you're like, oh, this has to be added. Must Another be. one that gives, like, really good fall vibes that just came out is Cobweb. Yes. Um, Which is a dark fairy tale as well. It's on Hulu right now. Um, That is also a great uh October watch. It's not necessarily Halloween, although it is, it is set around Halloween, but it is definitely a, um, it gets you in the, in the fall spirit. Yes. All right. So there you go, guys, you've got two newer movies <laughs> to check out. What? There you go. Like that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I feel like this film like I said, if you if you watch it and you're not in the Halloween spirit afterwards, nothing can be done. There's no help for you. There isn't. <laughs> like, I wish you well. Um, so can't relate. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Can't relate. Won't relate. As I'm still smeared with makeup from my costume <laughs> last night. But. Y'all, this is such a fun movie. Um, I know it's on HBO Max right now. I think it just got added. Um, of course, just in time, uh, for this time of year. Uh, HBO Max is one of those, I say HBO Max. Now it's just Max, but I'm always going to call it. I will always call HBO Max. Deal with it. Sue me. Sue me, Warner Brothers or whatever (laughs) parent company. Um, please don't. I don't have money. Um, but, uh, give it a watch. It's out there. Um, and yeah, talks of a sequel. So to wrap up our conversation, just on trick or treat sequel, we had Michael and I think he's done this before saying nothing has been greenlit, but stuff is in the works. Um, what would you want from a sequel? Well, like just. Give me, give me the structure. Well, honestly, I think the only thing I know that I would want from it is I would want it to do a structure similar to this, where instead of being a typical anthology of an opening wraparound and then, you know, three or four stories in between that we sort of inter- intermingle with them. Um, other than that, I just, I, I want it to keep this sort of devilish, gleam that this movie has where it's it's playing with expectations and it is playing with the strengths of the holiday and is telling stories that are in line with the sort of ec comics 
um, feel of, of this anthology. So those would be the things that I would, I would hope for um, if they were to make a, a sequel. I agree. I definitely think keeping an anthology format is really important. I do like the approach that this one took. Don't think there's any need to change that up. Um, I struggle if I think we should have any loop in of mm. characters. I mean, obviously you want Sam. You gotta, like, it is about Sam. And Sam is so cute. Um, I would say that I would love to see what Rhonda's up to now. I mean, because we are like multiple years away from 2007. So yeah. I'd love to see. So imagine this. We have, so assuming that there's something in the works, not greenlit, the earliest this could probably come out, and this is not without any, like, super rush on anything, would be what, 2025? I mean, I think they could potentially get one out for October of next year. I mean, if they were to, like, hit the ground running, but yeah, yeah. I would would say probably 2005, or 2025. So... We almost have 20 years mm-hmm. on Rhonda. So she's, she could have kids. Yep. She, I, I agree. I think that Rhonda, Rhonda would be a good, a good loop in here. Um, I'm hesitant to say Billy. No, I don't really. I don't really want to know. I feel like we know what his story is. (laughs) Yeah. And, but I could see someone like adding that character in, but it would just basically be the same story that we had here. That's the, and that's the thing. I don't want to see any of the other, like, I don't want to see the werewolves return because we've done that. I don't, I don't, so I, I don't really care unless it's like a, a little bit of a, a, you know, a gag in there, maybe like a little throwaway line, but I don't want to see another story about them just because I think what I love about trick or treat is the surprises and the way that each story genuinely surprised me. Someone who is jaded and has watched a whole lot of movies. And when I sit down and I think about movies, I typically see twists before they come. And yet this movie was able to surprise me with every single reveal. And so I would love to see, them continue that feel and so not continue the stories that were in the original one with the exception of Rhonda. Cause I think she could be a parent. We could see what she is doing with her kids in terms of if she had kids, maybe the kids are rebelling against her, their parent, her, their parent for being so Halloween focused. Like there's, there's things you could play with there that I think would still allow the same level of surprises. I agree completely. Agree completely. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, Rhonda would be the only one. It, you mentioned the werewolves, not wanting the werewolves to come back. I completely agree because, like, what else can you do with that? Where else can you go? I thought it was really a brilliant approach and you're just not, like, doing it again isn't going to work. 
maybe a cameo seeing Anna Paquin in in a parade crowd at this place, you know, maybe something like that would be fine, but I don't want a full fledged, full, full fledged story. Yeah. I think that that's a difference. Like you can have little cameos and you mentioned like a throwaway line here or there. I think those are fine, but to have a story focused on them. Is there, is there a, not a werewolf, but a a creature that you think would be, a fun a fun direction to maybe swap in ooh put me on the spot with that one um i don't know cuz we've i mean we had sort of the play with the vampire in this one and the werewolf so it'd have to be i don't know it have to be something surprising i have to think about that <laughs> yeah i mean we also had zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So reanimated dead. So I, yeah. we, yeah, it's going to take some thought, but I'm excited. Um, so if you love this film, there's potentially, uh, something on the horizon to be excited for. So. And if you like this film and you haven't seen Krampus, which is Michael Doherty's other movie, also sent around a holiday. I highly recommend that one too. That one's a joy. Yeah, that one is really, really good. And again, some twists and turns that you don't anticipate that really takes a story that you think is going to go a very specific direction, but has so much more, I think, texture to it, so much more meat that you can really sit with. I I really liked Krampus a whole lot. Um, Me too. And also, one thing... Going back to 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 Michael Dottery for a moment, he also is a writer on a lot of like. Uh, so he wrote, or was one of the writers for X Two, um, and a lot of the recent Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he is getting paid. Um, so it's exciting to see that he's going to be outside of Krampus. I don't think that he's done anything super horror focused. You could make the argument for Godzilla. Um, but, uh, it will be, it will be great to have him back. I think doing something like this again. I agree. Yay. All right. Well, that is the discussion about trick or treat. Um, Terry, thank you so, so, so much, uh, for being a guest on this incredibly special episode. Thank you for having me. I, um, I'm always down to talk trick or treat with anyone. I love this movie so much. So I was very happy. (laughs) Yay. Um, so Terry, I know that we mentioned at the top, some of the things that you are involved in, but now is the time we got to do the plugs. Where can you right. find you? What are you, what are you up to? Uh, well, you can find me at Gaily Dreadful on any social media that still exists at this point. <laughs> Who knows what'll happen day by day to Twitter. And I'm not going to call it X, uh, just like I'm not going to call HBO Max. It is still <laughs> HBO to me and it is still Twitter. Uh, but I'm on Twitter and Blue Sky the most. But you can also follow me on Instagram 
Um, as you said up the top, I am the co-host of the Scarred for Life podcast with Mary Beth McAndrews, and we chat with people in the film industry and writers and podcasters and just anyone in, in t- involved with horror about a movie that terrified them uh, growing up. We do have an upcoming episode at some point, hopefully soon, with Nicole uh, as a guest. And um, yeah, so there's that. You can find that at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky. Yay! And again, you also uh, are here on the Anatomy of a Scream feed. <laughs> I sure am. I am on Anatomy of a Scream pod squad with uh, Joe Lifsit. We have a couple shows that we do that we bring up once in a while. I think our big one right now is um, Sexy and Surreal, where we are going through the filmographies of David Cronenberg and David Lynch, neither of who I am terribly familiar with. Um, and so we are moving our way through that. I think we have recorded up to some episodes of Twin Peaks at this point, but we are growing chronologically through um, their career. So if you haven't listened to that on the Anatomy Screen Pod Squad, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we had an episode on Cronenberg not too long ago. Uh, we hold Cronenberg in a very special place uh, in these parts. So uh, do check that out. It is such a delightful listen. And I really like lunch is I've seen a lot of lunch stuff, but listening to you guys talk about his work um, and again, going through it chronologically just makes me have a whole new level. I think of, understanding and appreciation you guys are doing such amazing work well thank you it's um it's it's fun for me as someone that you know the problem is is that when you are writing about film or you're talking about film or film has become like part of your i mean for me i guess it's more of a hobby but kind of a career it's like one of those things where unless i can find a reason to watch other stuff i just don't have time to balance life with other hobbies and whatnot and so that's what I like about this is that I Cronenberg has, uh, aside from a few of his movies has been a blind spot. And David Lynch um, up until starting this podcast, the only thing I had seen from him was um, the Dune movie. So being able to use this as an, as a reason to watch his filmography is, is always helpful. <laughs> Amazing. So yes. And again, that's on the anatomy of a, of a screen feed here part of the pod squad family so you know where to find that all of the links to uh scar for life gaily dreadful are going to be in the show notes terry is doing an amazing amount of fantastic work so please be sure to check it out and of course uh mentioning scarred for life mary beth his co-host was on to chit chat about uh just a a nice little romp called The Taking of Deborah Logan. Like, Great movie. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, a fascinating and, and really emotionally, I think, kind of devastating film. So, um, and she was so wonderful. Um, so Scarred for Life is uh, an absolute must listen if you take my recommendation. Uh, so where can you find bodies of horror as Terry mentioned, who knows about social media these days, Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I still am on Twitter. I call it Twixt, um, <laughs> at Bodies Horror. Um, I am on the Blue Sky at Bodies of Horror. And for the last, I guess, two, uh, episodes, I want to say two episodes, I've been posting on Instagram, seeing, oh. seeing what that is about. Um, I act like I've never had Instagram before. I did, but, um, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, so I will put the link there if, uh, you are interested. I know that someone had reached out, uh, a listener and had shared some artwork that they had made around a film, uh, that was, uh, a topic for that recent episode um, and they had shared their Instagram posts with the artwork. And it was Aww. really, really amazing. And I loved it so much. And that was really one of my inspirations for going over to Instagram. Because I thought, it was really cool. And maybe this is a way to to be kind of further engaged. So, um, also, shout out to um, folks that have reached out. I've gotten a couple of really nice emails. You guys, I want to say, please stop. Don't, don't stop, but please stop because it just makes me just feel very, very, um, emotional and I, emotional in the best way. Um, I love it so much. I'm glad that people are listening. I really did this. I I really like came to this podcast to talk about disability and horror because obviously that was really my initial connect, um, seeing myself in these characters. And I think you hit a little bit on that. And talking about trick or treat and how not anticipating certain stories and where they would go and being like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so I really appreciate the feedback. Um, so please reach out. Um, yeah. So that will do it for this episode. And until next time. Scream Pod Squad.